There you go. Four punch, five punch, six punch combination. Body shot, body shot. Bang, 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 bang. Telling him not to counter punch. Welcome, Fight Fans. It's time for the main event of the week. As for the first time, the Fight City and Alden Boxing merged to create the Fight City Podcast. As always, a podcast for the purest. This week will feature a short recap of the major action that went down this weekend, followed by a terrific interview with the Fight City editor, Michael Carbert, who shares his opinions of the state of affairs in the boxing world with a little taste of a historical perspective as we get close to Tommy the Hitman Hearns' 60th birthday. Lots of great content tonight, so stay tuned for the first episode of the Fight City Podcast. Stay tuned. In our biggest fight of the weekend, Terrence Bud Crawford made the first defense of his WBO welterweight championship when he took on the unbeaten Jose Benavides Jr. and took him out with less than a half minute to go in the 12th round. It was a solid performance all in all by Crawford as he neutralized the 6 foot 2 inch Benavides' size advantage, which was a 6 inch height advantage, and ultimately broke down his challenger and scored the knockout in the 12th round with a ferocious right uppercut. Crawford and his promoter Bob Arum stated afterwards they were looking forward to an active three-fight run in 2019. Although it remains to be seen if any of the fights will include the kind of fights boxing fans have been clamoring to see for years, which include Sean Porter, Keith Thurman, or even Earl Spence Jr. In the co-feature bout of the night, 2016 Olympic silver medalist Shakur Stevenson blasted out veteran Virel Simeon in one round with a vicious right hook assault that led to three knockdowns and ultimately a merciful stoppage. Shakur Stevenson was emphatic in the post-fight interview, stating that he was ready to take on IBF featherweight champion Lee Selby in his very next fight, although his manager Andre Ward appeared to put the brakes a little bit uh, on the notion that Shakur would fight Selby in his next fight when he was later asked on ESPN. Very impressive performance nonetheless by Stevenson, who just knocked out a man that previously went the distance with hard-hitting Scott Quigg and Lee Selby in the past, which just speaks volumes for Stevenson's blinding speed and punching power, even as the youngster is not even 22 years old. In the WBSS World Boxing Hoop Super Series first round, uh, and second fight of that tournament, Zolani Tete scored an ugly but unanimous decision over 4-0 rookie, really, Mikhail Aloan in Russia. Not nearly the statement that Naoya Inouye made last week as he annihilated former champion Juan Carlos Payano in the first minute of their fight with a vicious right hand, but nonetheless, the 5-foot-9-inch Tete moves forward to face the winner, of Ryan Burnett versus Nonito Donaire in November 3rd. Hopefully will be a much better fight than Tete versus Alawan, 
although it remains to be seen how much Donaire has left in this stage of his career. And next up, we have our newest guest to Alden Boxing, the editor and ringleader of the Fight City, Michael Carbet. How are you, Michael? Almost afraid to ask if I'm getting the pronunciation for your name correct, but <laughs> correct Often, me if I'm wrong. Okay, no problem. Uh, sometimes it's Carbet, but most of the time it's Carbert. Okay. Sounds like the American way to pronounce it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's anglicized. I yep. think it's originally French, but... <laughs> yeah, I'm... Uh... That's why I went with Carbet, just to be safe in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so let's start off with last night's biggest fight, Terrence Crawford's 12th round stoppage of the game, but overmatched Jose Benavidez Jr. What did you make of this fight? Well, it, uh, it doesn't really tell us much that we didn't already know, does it? Yeah. Um, Terrence Crawford is clearly one of the best fighters in the game, pound for pound. And um, we expected him to win. He had a little more difficulty with Benavidez than, than most of us uh, had reason to expect. Uh, but in the end, you know, clearly he was a level or two above Benavidez in terms of ability and talent. And, um, but uh, as you pointed out in the report that uh, you, wrote, you wrote for thefightcity.com, um, you know, it, it's just his first title defense. It's only his second, I believe, uh, fight at 147. Yep, that's right. Uh, so, you know, it, it makes sense that uh, he would be taking opponents at this point that are, you know, quote-unquote safe for him at 147 as he's maybe still uh, getting fully acclimatized to the to the higher weight class. His power mm -hmm. might, not, might not be as dangerous at the higher weight and so on. He's fighting guys who are a little bigger. Yep. Uh, so, you know, I mean, he, he, he got the job done, although it clearly was not uh, one of his best performances. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's a bit disappointing in the sense that when you look at the larger picture and you look at how Crawford's career has progressed, uh, you know, now is the time for him to be having, you know, a, a premier matchup. Now is the time for him to be uh, seriously getting ready to face Errol Spence Jr. or Sean Porter or somebody of that caliber. And unfortunately, there's no clear signs that that is going to happen anytime soon. And that's disappointing. And after last night, one one can't help feeling a little impatient with that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's it's a tough situation to be in if you're Crawford because he's managed, he's promoted by top rank, and you got all the best guys at 147, Spence, Porter, uh, Keith Thurman, if he ever comes back, they're all Al Heyman guys, and they all have a clear path to face each other without ever really needing to get involved with Crawford. When do you think the public demand for a Crawford-Spence fight will get to the point where like Mayweather and Pacquiao, like Leonard and Hearns in the past, their first fight, that it'll just get too much and the promoters are going to have to work together to make this happen? Well, I'm not sure that uh, public demand is necessarily a major factor in these things. I mean, it's, of course, it's a factor, but mm -hmm. uh, 
it, the, the real question is, is can the different parties involved, uh, when do they all decide that it's all in their best interest to make the fight happen? And mm. it's, 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 it's frustrating because, I mean, we saw it, for example, with the whole situation that has unfolded in regards to uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin. I mean, yeah, they gave us two terrific fights, but really those fights should have happened sooner. Yep. It would have been, it would have been, we, we might've had a trilogy by now if, if, <laughs> if things had uh, unfolded the way they should have unfolded. Um, I mean, it's, I can't answer that question because uh, I, I really don't uh, fully understand the machinations involved. I don't even know how seriously to take uh, Bob Arum when he indicates that he's more than willing to sit down and do business with Al Heyman. I, I mean, how seriously do you take that? Not, not, not very serious. I mean, we don't have a huge history of top rank and Al Heyman getting bed together to make uh, fights of this caliber at least happen. I mean, Crawford versus Spence is a very big fight, but it's not the pay-per-view attraction that Triple G and Canelo is, at least was, uh, in their first two fights, I believe. I still think there's a little bit of work to be done on the promotion of that matchup to make it uh, to make it reasonable enough to bring the two parties together. I agree, and 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 one of the big stumbling blocks is that on one side you have fighters who just don't fight very often. I mean, yeah. You know, I mean, Sean Porter, you know, I feel I feel for Sean Porter because, you know, he's a competitor. You know, he wants to be fighting. Yeah. And he had he had to get in the ring. Uh, I, I can't remember after which Danny Garcia fight it was. He got in the ring and he had to, like, you know, make a spectacle of himself. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's 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 unfortunate. I don't quite understand uh, but you know, Errol Spence Jr. Recently, he he was on on social media saying, "I I need a fight." Yeah, I, I believe those were the exact words he put out on social media. I need a fight. Well, these guys are professional boxers. They're this is their career. This is their livelihood. But if you are an Al Heyman slash Showtime boxer, you're lucky if you fight more than once a year, and uh, that does not help anyone in terms of marketability that does not help anything in terms of hyping a fight, helping the public get ready for a fight. Um, outside of hardcore box boxing fans. I mean, how many people really care what Errol Spence jr. Does next in his career? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's been inactive for months and months and months and people, people's memories are short. And, and what uh, is, what is his, what is his year consistent of really? He's got Carlos Ocampo. No one knew who he was. Blew him out in the first round. Uh, Lamont Peterson, who I believe is way past his prime, he got rid of him in the first month, I believe, of this year. And since then, there's really been nothing on the docket for him. Yeah. So, so while, so that, so that's the, you know, part of the answer to your question is that right now, among hardcore boxing fans, Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence Jr. is a must-see matchup yeah. we want that fight but outside of hardcore boxing fans i'm sorry but these guys they don't have the profile nope. and and uh so so it's yeah it, it's unfortunate but one of the best matches the sport has to offer is not a major attraction that's the truth outside of 
you know, in terms of, of mainstream sports, it's not a major event. Will it be in the future? I don't see how it can be if these guys aren't visible and are not active. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it also kind of hurts, although Crawford's no angel, as he proved in the pre-fight by uh, trying to take a swing at Benavides's head in the weigh-in. But these guys are too much of the good guy, really, to to really bring as much attention to them as Floyd Mayweather has in the past, or even Adrian Broner at a, at a fraction of the talent that Crawford and Spence bring. It's really, in this day and age, if, if you're not Conor McGregor, if you're not hated, Sometimes you get overlooked, and I think that's the problem that Spence and Crawford are finding themselves in: is that both are just too good and too uh, and too classy to really to really root against and show up for. Well, and and that may be uh, the case, but if you're not going to make noise that in that way, if you're not going to attract attention in that way, mm-hmm. then you need to go to the people who are managing your career, the people who are in charge of, of making decisions, and put some pressure on them. I mean, instead of putting something out on social media saying, I need a fight, why isn't Errol Spence Jr. You know, getting more assertive with, with whoever is making the decisions and saying, look, you better, you better make something happen because I want to be more active than this, and I want some major fights, and I want them soon. I'm in my prime, and I should be active, and I want to help build up big fights for the future. So I've got to be active. Are they doing that? I mean, if if you can't, if you're not, if you don't have the personality to to trash talk and and attract a lot of attention that way, well, then you want to be attracting attention by being active, by by competing, and that way keeping your your name uh, in everybody's minds. That's the way to increase your marketability. Get out there, compete, keep winning, impress people, make people talk about you because of what you're doing in the ring. Definitely. Um, well, speaking of Al Heyman, we got got something of an early Christmas present, maybe, as it was reported that Manny Pacquiao joined forces with Heyman earlier this week. So, so what do you make of this? I mean, it certainly opens the doors to several matchups we didn't believe were possible years ago, but... Do you uh, do you care at this point in Pacquiao's career? Do you find this move indicative of anything that the nearly forty-year-old Pac-Man could do before he uh, retires? Well, I just find it astonishing that, yet as you just mentioned, he's 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 going on forty years old, and yet there is no reason not to rank Manny Pacquiao at least among the top ten yeah. in the welterweight division. I mean, I mean. It's pretty amazing. I never, I never thought that uh, that this could be the case. And you know, it seems to me the elephant in the room is how how these days are boxers able to to keep these long careers going and going and going. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the answer. I mean, the answer is obvious, but at the same time, it's one that you have to be careful how you talk about because you can't make allegations. I don't know anything for sure about, about uh, what substances uh, elite level boxers are taking and what substances they're not taking, but there is, it is very strange to me. I mean, look at all the elite level fighters who are able to keep fighting at the elite level past the age of 35. It's, it's unheard of. I mean, this just didn't happen 20, 30, 40 years ago. Not even close. (laughs) And so, 
you know, that that's something that one can muse about. I mean, obviously we can't, uh, you know, I mean, it doesn't take a, a genius to, to put two and two together here. I mean, you, you, you also factor in uh, the different rumors, uh, the different things we do know about, the different fighters who have tested positive, and then, uh, you know, the fact that uh, in, in certain photographs from certain angles, Manny Pacquiao looks like a bobblehead doll, um, as do as do other fighters that I've met in person and, and others, you know, just in, in photographs. I mean, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that points in a certain direction. And and, you know, it's just it's just bizarre that that Manny Pacquiao, especially when you look at the wear and tear. I mean, look at all the fights. Look at all the tough fights he's had. Definitely. And yet there. I, yeah. I, I mean, not that Lucas Matisse was uh, a dangerous opponent for Pacquiao at this stage a of his punching career. punching bag, more or less, That's, in my opinion. But. <laughs> yeah, but but still, uh, at the age of 39, he went out there and he got the job done and got his first stoppage victory in, in what, like... Since 09, uh, yeah, nine years, going on a decade, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, as for, for what this signifies for future fights, I mean... Uh, we can we can speculate. I mean, Manny Pacquiao versus uh, Errol Spence Jr. versus Keith. I mean, they they're all interesting fights, but at the same time, there's something kind of uh, there's a certain sense of foreboding. I mean, I do not want to see Manny Pacquiao take a beating from you know Errol Spence Jr. That does not interest yeah. me. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I wished for a long, quite a while now that that Manny Pacquiao would retire, and yet, like I say, you there's no reason not to rank him among the best fighters at 147. He's got wins over Jesse mm-hmm. Vargas. Um, who else? Tim, Tim Bradley uh, when he was active, he beat him two yeah. out of three. Um, Josh Quaddy going a little bit further back. Uh, but I mean, it's a new welterweight face. He hasn't faced Danny Garcia, Thurman, uh, obviously not. I mean, a, a lot of the top guys now. It's a very different division, but he still has a legitimate one-sided victory over Jesse Vargas, who's a top five welterweight, probably by more than one sanctioning body. Yeah, that 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 performance surprised me a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he, he you know, I, I I wasn't surprised that he won. But I was I was a little bit taken aback by how he won. I mean, he he certainly didn't look in that particular uh, match like an aging fighter. Um, yeah, and, and then the and then the fight with Jeff Horn, which most people thought that he deserved to win. I mean, that also in its way was a perf- an impressive performance in that he was against a going he was in the ring with a much naturally much bigger guy. True, and yet he more than held his own for twelve rounds. Uh, competed i mean it's incredible i mean for that fight he would have been what 37 38 yeah um, I so. so so yeah i don't know I, I how long can he keep this going that's the that's the question and um but again i i don't i'm not keen on seeing him get in the ring with uh with uh guys who are going to end up you know just giving him a beating um but obviously for, for better or for worse, we can look forward to, to see more of Manny Pacquiao. I don't know how seriously to take um, all the talk, uh, all the speculation 
about a, another Manny Pacquiao Floyd Mayweather fight. I really don't know how seriously to take that. Do you? I, I don't want to think of it. I, I don't want anything to do with the idea of it. <laughs> I refuse to write about it. It's just it's it's something that's a it, it just distracts casual sports fans from all the great work that fighters like Terrence Crawford and Earl Spence and Mikey Garcia, Vasily Lomachenko. These are the fighters I want casual fans to look at and say, okay, this is boxing. I don't want casual fans to say and, and look at these uh, these these media grabs that these guys that Floyd Mayweather is doing and Manny Pacquiao is doing these photoshops or photo shoots together. Uh, distracting fans from what the sport is really all about. And it's not about money grabs. It's about the best fighting frequently and fighting against the best in the world, which is frankly something that uh, those two deprived us for for a good six years before they fought each other. Uh, it, it just upsets me, that, that the idea of Mayweather-Pacquiao too. I, I, I totally agree. And, and I think you hit upon a very important point, which is that at some point, the older fighters need to get out of the way. I mean, yeah. and, and, and this may be a factor in, in what we were discussing a bit earlier, which is that these guys, these younger fighters are not fighting enough. They're not fighting often enough. They're not competing. They're not taking full advantage of the precious time right now when they're at their peak. They're not, they're not getting, they're not exploiting it as they should. But maybe that has something to do with the fact that, you know, these older fighters keep hogging the spotlight and won't get out of the way. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, we shouldn't be talking about future Manny Pacquiao fights at this point in time. We really shouldn't. We should be talking about Errol Spence Jr. Um, hopefully taking on, you know, uh, Sean Porter or something like that. That, you know, that's that's what we should be focused on. And, and, and Floyd Mayweather, I mean... No, again, get out of the way, like, like get out of the spotlight. And, and, and it's important to point out that the point in time when all this talk about a Manny Pacquiao Floyd Mayweather rematch, when it first came up was the day, I believe of the Canelo triple G, right? Yeah. Canelo (laughs) two. like Floyd couldn't stand the fact that other fighters and another major fight was, 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 was hogging all the attention and people were getting excited about it. He couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't bear to to not grab some of that attention and some of that spotlight for himself. And that's why I, at the, I still am hoping that it's all just a publicity stunt. That's what I'm hoping. I, I believe. I mean, I haven't really heard much about the fight since uh, whatever the hell happened. To be honest, and and it comes after their. Um... Well, Floyd's announcement to fight Conor McGregor a year ago, uh, which was another monstrosity in my opinion, came in the midst of Canelo Triple G1, which was uh, the biggest fight since Mayweather-Pacquiao. It was a fight that everyone in boxing was looking forward to. It was a fight that might have brought many more fight fans to the game. or I mean, I believe it brought uh, its fair share of casual fans to the forefront to watch it, but I was scared to death. Because Mayweather or Mayweather McGregor was taking place two weeks before, from what I remember, uh, Canelo Triple G won. And I thought Mayweather was just going to stink out the joint and turn off all the casual sports fans that may have tuned into Canelo Triple G won before they even got a chance to see it. And, and I think even though Mayweather gave the fans, uh, casual fans, what they thought was a good fight in the first McGregor fight, if he fights Pacquiao again, it's not going to be any better than their first fight, which... Uh, was an awful fight in my opinion back in May of 2015 
and it's going to turn fans off to the real action that we've been talking about. Yeah, and it also it also makes it harder for the sport to uh, create new stars, and that's what we need. I mean, uh, for boxing to remain viable and to grow, we need new uh, faces, new stars, new um, uh, celebrities. You know, really in the sport, like guys, guys that that the rest of the sports world pays attention to. We need new blood. We need, uh, you know, so so the more. Um, column inches and the more attention that's that's you know basically wasted on Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao the harder it is for for us to create new stars and then build up big fights big new fights um and and may I just uh while we're on the topic I just like to point out every chance I get Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor that never should have been a sanctioned professional boxing match that should have been an exhibition. That should never. That should not count as an actual professional fight on Floyd Mayweather's uh, boxing record. Should not be his fiftieth. When I completely agree, it, it'd be no different to me than I don't know if you remember the name better, but when Muhammad Ali fought the wrestler, uh, what was his name? It was. Uh, it was just an exhibition. Fight. It was a pure exhibition fight, and Muhammad Ali fought him. The guy was kicking him in the shins. Oh yeah, no, no, but I mean, if that fight in, in, that was in Japan, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, that fight was clearly an exhibition. They they knew it was two different sports. They knew it was just for the money. Ali was still active. Uh, this, as you say, clearly shouldn't have been a sanctioned fight. Well, since you brought it up, I mean, people forget, but Muhammad Ali, like other heavyweight champions of the past, um, did a lot of exhibition fights. And very, very often mm. to help raise money for charity and that type of thing, which, of course, was not at all what happened <laughs> with Mayweather versus Conor McGregor. And um, and, and those fights were never uh, taken seriously or became part of Ali's professional record. I mean, Ali fought uh, football players, for example, Lyle Alzado. Um, I think that fight was mm. actually broadcast on national television. Uh, but these were exhibition matches and, and they never were part – they were never taken seriously – and were never part of Ali's uh, actual official boxing record. That was common in the, in the past. Yeah, definitely. And then that that'd be like uh, Joe Lewis and Sugar Ray Robinson in uh, World War II when they did exhibitions for the soldiers. It'd be, it'd be like them making <laughs> millions of dollars for uh, those appearances. I mean, it's it's obvious. It, it should be obvious to certain fighters when to draw the line between giving back and and uh, being a showman and making millions of dollars for yourself. Absolutely. In my opinion. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think what Mayweather and Pacquiao are doing would be in essence, if Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier passed their prime, retired for years, decided to come back every three years or so because they were jealous of the limelight Larry Holmes was getting or so. And, and did, and and did a, a fourth fight and a fifth fight and a sixth fight and just and just made millions of dollars and distracted people from the future of boxing, to which a guy like Larry Holmes is already suffering enough in the shadows of Muhammad Ali when uh, he became heavyweight champion pretty much throughout his reign as heavyweight champion. That that's just the analogy that came to my head when I was thinking about an injustice that Mayweather and Pacquiao would be doing um, if they well, fought. Floyd and and Manny though it must be noted are in far far better shape at their present age than <laughs> Ali and Joe Frazier uh, were at the same age. And again, that brings, that brings us That's back true. to the question of why, how, <laughs> how is that possible? But anyway, 
Yeah. Uh, it is a good question. Um, unfortunately, if you really press Manny Pacquiao too hard on the subject, he might sue you like he did Mayweather when uh, Mayweather pressed yeah. too hard on the subject of PEDs years back. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if Pacquiao will be something of a pawn for Al Heyman just to feed into the into the mouths of young lions like Earl Spence. I hope not. I hope Pacquiao is uses more of a uh, a crossroads fight for a Sean Porter, so to speak, because I, I feel like that would actually be a competitive, interesting fight rather than a slaughter. Like I think he'd be walking into if he fought Earl Spence. But then again, it's it's very interesting because top rank. Uh, when they had, or, or excuse me, when they had uh, Manny Pacquiao and Terrence Crawford, they either it was Aram's intention or it was Pacquiao's intention to dance around Crawford and never get in the ring with him. It seemed like he was fighting safe. He was fighting uh, uh, using Bob Aram to hide him from some of the best fighters that he managed at the time. And now all of a sudden he's going into the promoter of some or the manager or whatever Al Heyman is of some of the biggest, most dangerous welterweights in the world. So that, that's just part of my confusion, really, in this decision. Well, Aram, it should be noted, Aram wanted that fight. As far as that's my understanding, Aram wanted Crawford. a Crawford versus Pacquiao fight, and it would have been a classic passing of the torch match, and it would have helped Aram yes. because, because if Crawford had won, and I think most of us would agree that, that Crawford probably would have won, then then that helps to build Crawford into the next big star, into a, into a bigger attraction. So Aram actually was pushing. Uh, my understanding is Aram was pressuring Manny Pacquiao to take that fight, and it was Pacquiao who felt that that wasn't a smart move for, in, you know, wasn't a move in his best interest. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that, that is a good question because my understanding of how a, Al Heyman works is that he likes to give a lot of, uh, of latitude to the fighters. He likes to, he, he's, he's not so much interested in telling the fighters what to do with their careers. He's more, he's more interested in actually allowing the fighters to make their own decisions, uh, which makes a lot of sense when you look at, for example, the career of, of say, Adonis Stevenson. I mean, there's obviously no one really <laughs> pushing Stevenson very, very hard uh, up until very lately to to take on stronger opposition and um so perhaps i am just speculating but maybe what is attracting manny pacquiao here is uh the sense that well he will be more in the driver's seat and he will be able to make decisions um in his own interests he won't necessarily be put on the spot by Heyman. oh you've got to fight this guy or you got to fight that guy maybe that's part of the attraction for manny pacquiao that's a very interesting point that I've yet to consider. Uh, Pacquiao, it seems like he's been using quite a bit of latitude. He hasn't fought uh, a, a serious test, I don't think, since he went up against Jesse Vargas. And even then, Jesse Vargas was still something of a limited fighter, uh, at least compared to the level of Manny Pacquiao. So going further, um, going to the heavyweight division now, Seems like Alexander Usyk's career-defining shutout of Murat Gassiev was just weeks ago, but in fact, it was months ago, and now he's right on the verge of his next fight against Tony Bellew, uh, less than a month away. It's clear that both parties have been asking for this fight for quite some time. How do you see this one playing out? Oh, well, I mean, there's there's no reason to think that Usyk won't... Uh you know, clearly, I, I mean, I can't imagine Bellew winning. Uh, I just can't. 
you know, I can't imagine it either. Usyk is just uh, <laughs> the superior boxer in in pretty much every department, um, and yep. uh, and he's at his he's in his prime, whereas Belieu I think is you know on the downside. Um, but what I find most interesting about this is that you know Tony Bellew is is kind of a model for other fighters to follow in that. Uh, I'm not sure what year it was, uh, 2013. Uh, he suffered a pretty devastating stoppage loss to Adonis Stevenson in a, in a light. I remember week. that 2012 or yeah, 2013. Yeah. I and uh, you know, when you look at the moves he's made since, I mean, he's he's really done an outstanding job of of making the most of his career, uh, getting some big high yeah. profile fights, some major paydays. And, uh, you know, most of us didn't think he, he would defeat David Hay, but he did not once, but twice. Um, and now he's in mm -hmm. position to make a, another huge payday. Um, you know, he's, he's really done an outstanding, uh, admirable job of making the most of, of his career and taking risks. You know, the, 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 so many uh, elite level fighters are playing it safe. They're kind of following the Floyd Mayweather model. Um, but here's a fighter who, you know, obviously the way forward for him was to go the opposite route and he had to take risks and it's paid off. So, um, I, I find it really interesting. Now he's, he's going to make another big payday and who knows, he might shock us again. He might surprise us again. I can't envision it. I think Usyk's going to be too much for him, but, uh, but you know, I, I just find it admirable. And by the same token, I also am impressed by what Usyk has done uh, with his career in, in, you know, I mean, a very short period of time. I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's only got like about 12 professional fights. Um, if, if somewhere like 15. there, I don't think he's he has 15 more than 15. And so, I mean, yep. with, a, with a relatively small number of fights, he's uh, established himself as pound for pound, one of the best fighters in the game. There's no question about it. I think I think he's he's one of the very best active right now in the sport. Um, you know, so it's pretty very impressive too what he's managed to do. Again, taking risks, willing to take on the best fighters, willing to enter the exactly fighting, fighting frequently, frequently, staying active, entering the World uh, Boxing Super Six uh, tournament, and and taking risks, yep. and he's he's uh, reaping the rewards. Yeah, definitely. I remember when I watched him fight the first and only time in uh, uh, Oxon, Maryland, right near Washington, D.C. Fought Michael Hunter, dominated that fight. It's on the undercard of Lomachenko versus Jason Sosa, if I'm remembering that correctly. And uh, I knew from there he was a serious talent. Some people couldn't get by his awkward style, but this guy was so fit. He threw so many punches, just a windmill, maybe a little bit awkward to watch. But I knew he was he was a force to be reckoned with at cruiserweight, and now possibly at heavyweight. Which brings me into my next question regarding Usyk: Is how high is he going to go? I mean, is he is he is he going to fight the giants of the heavyweight division anytime soon? I don't think that would make sense. But uh, how many years do you think he is away from a fight with Anthony Joshua, for example, Deontay Wilder? Or anyone else. I mean, everyone at heavyweight is six four and above well, these days. <laughs> I I can only speculate. I have no idea what the brain trust yeah. around uh, um, Usyk is thinking. But if I were 
um, you know, had some influence in terms of what, what decisions he would make uh, next in his career, assuming he defeats Bellew. I would be, I would be looking yeah, if you were not so much up at the heavyweight division, but I might be looking more at the light heavyweight division and seeing which of the top fighters at 175 could be enticed oh. to come up and challenge him at 190 um, or 200 or whatever the limit uh, presently okay. is for cruiserweight. Um, you know, there's the light heavyweight division right now is stacked. And um, barring a, a Super 6 series happening at 175, which would be phenomenal, but uh, I'm not sure that it could be, could be done. Uh, you know, some of these guys are going to be looking for big fights. They're going to be looking for action. They're going to be looking for, for um, a big-name opponent to take on. And if the right offer is made... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some of those fighters wouldn't be willing to to make the move up and challenge Usyk, and that would be the direction I would be thinking if if I were uh, managing Usyk, as opposed to, uh, I mean, to bulk up and take on a guy like uh, uh, Anthony Joshua, I mean, uh, or, or or Tyson Fury or whoever. I mean, these guys are huge. These guys are are massive heavyweights. And Usyk probably soaking wet uh, right now wouldn't want to go into the ring at more than what about two two fifteen two twenty. I mean, so he'd be giving away a lot of probably weight not. there. And um, unless he's struggling with the cruiserweight uh, limit, um, I'd be I'd be inclined to maybe see if there couldn't be some big big fights that could be made with some of the some of the more daring um, competitors at the light heavyweight division. That's a good point. I mean, the light heavyweight division is stacked, but Usyk is a real, well, he's becoming a household name at this point. His victory over Marat Gassiev really made a lot of noise and uh, propelled him into most top 10 pound for pound lists. Um, any, any particular light heavyweight you think would uh, fare an interesting fight against Usyk? I mean, Elider Alvarez looks like he can gain a little bit of weight. I mean, he he is a bulky light heavyweight. He looked a lot stronger than Kovalev, well, you, you bigger than Kovalev. The, that's when they exactly fought. right. I, that's the first name that came to my mind, and that's one of the major factors um, that I think a lot of us forgot about with the with the Kovalev fight is that uh, Alvarez was naturally the bigger guy, and um, and he he weighs in at one seventy five, but then he rehydrates. And he comes into the ring at around 190 or so, um, and that's that's a confirmed fact. You can find uh, an interview with uh, trainer Mark Ramsey um, by Manny Montreal. You can find that on mm -hmm. YouTube. A recent interview with uh, Alvarez's trainer, where he admits he says yeah. our, our our guy was big, and in the and before he went in the ring, he was about 195. I, if I'm remembering the number correctly, but it was definitely over 190. So. That I that would be a fascinating matchup, I think. Um, and Alvarez is uh, right. on the verge of, of establishing himself as one of the premier talents in the sport. If he scores another impressive win over Kovalev, then there's then you've got to rank him among the very best. And uh, I think that would be a that would be a fascinating matchup. I completely agree, and it really. The construct, the notion that I fought with many boxing writers about that that cruiserweight is not a permanent division; it's just a stepping stone for heavyweight. 
does it have to be that way? It's historically been that way, but cruiserweight's never been as loaded as it has been previous as has it been recently during the World Boxing Super Series when you had uh, Murat Gassiev and you had Usyk and you had everyone else in that division, Mike Perez, um, f- making making a pretty decent showing for themselves. Why can't the cruiserweight division be something of a home for great light heavyweight fighters and and Usyk to stay in? Uh, on a, on well, a more long-term 100%. basis. And the thing is, with the day before weigh-in, um, let's face it, cruiserweights are heavyweights. I mean, these guys are heavyweights. I mean, historically speaking, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, Muhammad Ali in his prime weighed around 210 pounds, 212 pounds. I mean, the day before weigh-in, remember, by the time these guys get in the ring, that's about what they weigh, right? I mean, these guys are over 200 pounds. Yeah. So basically what we have is that the heavyweight division has become the super heavyweight division. Um, and the cruiserweight division is the heavyweight division. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, I mean, weight classes in boxing haven't made sense for a long time. Um, but, but there doesn't seem to be any will yep. uh, to, to totally revamp them. Um, so i agree the the cruiserweight there's no reason why the cruiserweight division can't be viable on its own and um and if you can make the weight uh why not like i mean there's a lot to be said especially these days when fighters find it so easy to move around from division to division there's a lot to be said for a fighter staying in the same division and dominating it and piling up title defense after title defense after title defense and really really making their mark establishing themselves as as uh, not just a, a a great talent in in the sport today, but also somebody to be compared to the fighters of the past. Um, so if 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 Usyk can make the weight and is comfortable at cruiserweight, why not stay there and become a dominant champion? Yeah, and to to piggyback off your point about weight classes not making sense, let's take a back. Let's take a step back and think about the fact that we have three weight divisions between, let's say, 130 and 140 pounds. you got junior lightweight, lightweight, and super lightweight. You just saw in one weight division last week a 90-pound weight advantage for Jarrell Big Baby Miller knocking out Tomas Adamek, a former light heavyweight, who's a decent-sized heavyweight at 227 pounds, I believe, but he's able to fight a guy 90 pounds heavier. Heavyweight doesn't make sense. It's not the heavyweight division. I've advocated for a long time that there should be a super heavyweight division, especially given the fact that these guys are getting bigger and bigger. If you're not at least six foot four, you really don't have a legitimate shot at being the undisputed heavyweight champion with the size of these guys, Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua, especially Tyson Fury. I mean, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury would not be a, a champion in any other division. They do not have the skill. At all. I've said this for a long time, and I've been impressed by Deontay Wilder's progression over the years, but these are not championship-caliber fighters in any weight division. These are championship-caliber fighters because of their size, and it's not fair that the heavyweight division is well, not been I, split I can't up yet. Well, I disagree, and, and like I said before, I mean, the weight classes haven't made sense for a long, long time, but nobody seems... Uh, I mean, at least we have the cruiserweight division. That was a, that was a much-needed... Um, addition given given how the heavyweight division has evolved so at least we have that and and to go back to your point i agree with you uh if if Usyk can can stay uh at cruiserweight and have a 
you know, establish himself as a major attraction at that weight. It does a lot of good for boxing to make to to overcome that sense that cruiserweight should be a stepping stone division. There's no there's no reason why that has to be the case. Yeah, I definitely agree. So as um, we go forward, one of the greatest welterweights of all time and the legendary Kronk Jim's first superstar, Thomas Hearns, turns 60 next Thursday, uh, October 18th, if I have my days correct. Any memories you'd like to share of the hitman as we well, approach his birthday coming up? Well, the first thing, of course, I'd like to up? say is I cannot believe that he's going to be 60 years old. I mean, it doesn't seem that long ago. Um because the memories are still so fresh of those of those big fights in the 80s. I'm, I am old enough, just old enough, to remember uh, the huge uh, showdown in 1981 against Sugar Ray Leonard, and then the, the massive uh, clash with marvelous Marvin Hagler in 1985, and then the rematch with uh, Sugar Ray Leonard in 1989. I mean, those were massive fights. Um, and uh, and in all three cases, they were truly thrilling battles. And that's the thing that that I think is important to remember about Thomas Hearns. Thomas Hearns was an exciting fighter. You 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 were rarely disappointed. There was rarely a, a Thomas Hearns fight that was not uh, thrilling, surprising, exciting. And part of it, of course, was that he, he had that combination, tremendous power but also a chin that was a little bit unreliable. And that those two things together make for excitement. It <laughs> makes for exciting fights. And even, even some of the uh, lower profile matches, uh, fights that, that people wouldn't necessarily remember. Uh, like, for example, I remember when, seeing him fight Murray Sutherland on national television. And Murray Sutherland gave him a bit of trouble, and mm. it was an exciting fight because – Thomas Hearns always came to fight. He he was a he he was a fighter. He was he was he was a talented boxer, very skilled, uh, very well trained by Emmanuel Stewart. He knew what he was doing, but he loved to fight. He loved to compete, and uh, you know, he's given us a lot of memories. And I think it's it's uh, fitting that the sport of boxing uh, remembers him on his birthday and, and tips their hat because. Uh, a uh, few fighters have given us more thrills uh, than Thomas Hitman Hearns. Definitely. I mean, this is a guy, from what I remember, uh, Manuel Stewart interview a while back saying yeah, his his number one objective after a lot of his early fights was, did I give the fans what they wanted to see? Did I entertain the fans? Did they did uh, did did they enjoy it? That, that was his priority. Is uh, the fans' enjoyment over his own uh, his own gain, really. And it really showed up, in, especially in the Marvin Hagler fight, where he had no reason to fight the way he did in that fight. In fact, it was a very poor fight plan to go toe-to-toe with Hagler. I guess he got carried away when he hurt him early in the fight. Um, but he did anyways. He fought, He and even when it wasn't going his way, he still fought Hagler head-on and ultimately was knocked out in the third round. But... Still one of the greatest fights of all Absolutely. time and, and one of the I reasons agree. we're never going to forget uh, I'm sure, even though he lost that fight and what an agonizing loss it must have been, I, I am sure, as you say, that Thomas Hearns takes a lot of pride um, from the fact that he gave the fans one of the most exciting fights ever 
the, the opening round of that fight is one of the most exciting rounds in the whole history of boxing. Uh, nobody questions that. And, and yes, as you say, the, I mean, let's face it, boxing is supposed to entertain us. And it's a, it's, um, it's a visceral, uh, sometimes dark, um, uh, dangerous uh, type of entertainment. Boxing is, is a sport that isn't really a sport. It's, 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 it's sanctioned fighting. It's sanctioned uh, gladiatorial combat. But let's face it, it's thrilling. It's exciting. And, and Thomas Hearns understood that, that that was part of his job. He had mm. to go out there and give us that excitement. And, and he did. I mean, think about it. There's very few uh, fighters who have given us more exciting fights than, than Thomas Hearns. And, and that's, that's what he should be remembered for uh, first and foremost, I think. Absolutely. Um, Thomas Hearns turning 60 next Thursday. Uh, I, I really hope uh, we, we see uh, we see a lot of fans turning up to remember him either on social media or for an event in person, possibly in Detroit, Michigan. So thanks, Mike, for coming on the show tonight. You've really been a pleasure to talk to. I uh, hope you have a great well, night and I hope welcome, I see you again thanks soon. Thanks for inviting me and I'll be happy to do it again in the near future. You too. Great. Have a great night. And that just about sums it up for the first episode of the Combined Alden Boxing and Fight City podcast, the fifth episode of Alden Boxing. Great night of content featuring some expertise from Michael Carbet sharing his opinions on tonight's podcast. Stay tuned for more updates in the future on our next show, and we look forward to bringing you boxing fans exactly what you came to see. Good night now.